All right. Welcome to church again, whether you're online, whether you're online or you're here, welcome to church. My name is Pastor Joe Marlin, and I am the, uh, the pastor here under the great shepherd Jesus Christ. And it's been a couple weeks since I've been in the pulpit, and I miss being up here, and I miss the series we've been in in the Gospel of John, and so I'm glad to be right back in it. We've been in a series called John, the Gospel in Real Life. And the great themes of John's Gospel is, has been repeatedly that whoever believes in Jesus, they, they receive eternal life the moment they place their trust in Jesus. That can never be taken away from you. Yeah, it's that simple. The moment you place your trust in Jesus, you receive eternal life. But the other theme of John is also not just that you receive eternal life, but that in this life, you experience abundant life. So we receive eternal life that can never be taken from us, but we also experience abundant life. And, and tonight, we're returning to the I am statements of John. And I'm going to ask you, if you've been around, you know this, and maybe if you just are familiar with the scriptures, you know this. How many I am statements are there in John? There are seven. Old man John, you know what I mean, who we, 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 we spent a few months in the book of Revelation. He does the same thing. He wrote that as well. He likes the number seven, Okay. And there are seven I am statements. There's also seven signs where Jesus, you know, it's not just a miracle. There's, there's a point to his miracle. It signifies something true about himself, about the gospel, about us. But we have looked at some of these seven I am statements so far. So far, we looked at how Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Like, you are not going to be sustained without me. I am the bread of life. We looked at how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We, we looked at how Jesus said, I am the door for the sheep. But he's not only the door for the sheep, right? He's also, he says, I am the good shepherd. And Pastor Dylan, a couple weeks ago, preached the last sign of the Gospel of John, the raising of really one of his best friends in this village that was as close to home as Jesus had. Now, we know that Jesus had no home. He had no home base. But if he had a home base, it would be Bethany. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were really close friends of Jesus. And Pastor Dylan reminded us that, you know, Martha was that go-getter, has her list of things that need to happen. And, and, and Mary is more of the one that lives in the moment. So in this story, they are true to character. And Mary's kind of in the background crying. And Martha comes up to Jesus. 
and is like, Jesus, if you were here, our brother wouldn't have died. So there's this weird mix of like actually Martha's actually like talking back to Jesus, rebuking Jesus at the same time mixed with faith. Because she knew that Jesus is the one that's able to sustain life, right? She had seen with her own eyes that Jesus could heal. She had seen that Jesus can produce like an entire feast for 5,000 people from one kid's lunch. And our, and our, and our brother preached that, that sign, right? And, and maybe you remember it. He, Jesus weeps. I want you to know that if you've got family that, that um, you've lost and you know, in this town and in our church, that's a lot, right? <laughs> Almost every single one of us has lost a lot of people. Too young. Are we just going to say it out loud? A lot of it has gone to drugs. Also mental illness. Also just untimely sickness. A result of that frequency can be this incorrect sort of thing where we think, like, you know what? It's just how it is. It is what it is. And so don't cry. But Jesus is fully man and fully God, and he weeps for his friend because he's healthy. <laughs> unlike how we can be, right? Jesus is in his right mind, unlike how we can be, and he doesn't bury his feelings for it to come back later, like the movie Pet Cemetery, right? Where like sometimes we bury all these feelings and experiences we had, the traumas we had, the stuff that happened to us as kids, the stuff that's happened to us last year. We put it in that creepy cemetery in the middle of the woods, and guess what? It comes back as something else. And messes up our lives even more. But Jesus knew how to face his pain. He knew how to face his trauma. He knew how to face the ultimate realities of life. Including death. And he cried. But he didn't stop there. He told Lazarus. Lazarus, come out of that grave. <laughs> And he walked out after being in there dead for four days. Amen? But tonight, we want to look at the fifth statement, the fifth I am statement, which he puts right in the middle of that story. And just for review, or if you're new, in the New Testament, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Old Testament was written mostly in Hebrew, and... Um, the way that John uses these I am statements, right, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. He's using this interesting, like he's using two verbs, ego, emi. He's using two words, and it's exactly the way the translation of the Old Testament is done. Where when, G when I'm sorry, when Moses is talking with God <laughs> through the burning bush. 
And God is saying, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, who am I going to say sent me? And God tells him, I am that I am. And it's the exact same words here being used. Ego, emi, I am, I exist. I am that I am. This was so radical that this personal name for God that was revealed, right, that Orthodox Jews to this day, they don't pronounce this word, right? And in translations, you don't write this word out the way it's pronounced. But if a lot of us, you got like a King James Bible, you go and you look at the Old Testament and you see where this word pops up. What do you see? You see the Lord in all capitals. When it does that, when it shows the Lord in all capitals in like a different font, that's actually using the I am that I am, the, the personally revealed name of God to his people, but they, was, they held it in such high regard. They wouldn't even write it in the copies and in the translations. But when Jesus was uh, chopping it up with these religious leaders in John 8, he uses this phrase and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And the people wanted to stone him, right? They, they wanted to kill him. They wanted blood because what he was claiming was blasphemy. What he was claiming was, I am God. I was there. I was there before Abraham. How could you be there before Abraham? That was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He says, no, I was there. <laughs> because I am God. And he's screaming through all these I am statements. He's screaming, I am God. And like a diamond with many facets, we get to see how he is our all in all in seven different ways. Right? We get to see how he completes us, how we need him, how we come to him. We get to see it in seven different ways. So let's look a little closer at the fifth I am statement found in John chapter 11, starting in verse 25. Jesus said to her, this is to Martha, right? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this word. It's from you. Lord, we pray, Father, that we would be um, not just hearers of your word, but doers of it. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would open us up even as we open up your word, that you would speak to our souls in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, the problem is that every single thing in the world, every single thing that's wrong with the world, sickness, addiction, abuse, war, corruption, greed, racism, exploitation, Every single thing that is wrong with this world is only a symptom of the actual thing that's wrong with this world, which is death. 
That's the backdrop of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Every single thing that you can think of that's wrong with this world is actually a symptom of what the Bible calls our final enemy, which is death. And everything left unchecked, right? All the evil in the world left unchecked. It will lead to what? Death. And death touches everyone and everything. There is no zip code. There is no income level. There is no county, no country, no race, no language group. There is nobody and no one who won't be touched by death. Death is almost the most certain thing about life. The other day I was, uh, I was hanging out with some of the young guys after church. So I've been a Christian since 1996. So for those who are interested in or not interested in doing the math, that's 26 years. <laughs> And while I, I love worship, I love leading worship, I, I love being lost in worship, and I love all kinds of styles. I'm, I'm good, I'm game, you know, gospel music, old hymns, contemporary, whatever, and, and I need you to hear this. There is no, be, being tied to a certain preference, and you're like, I need worship to be like this to get me worshiping, isn't a sign of spiritual maturity. Now, we all have our preferences, right? We do. That's just life. We all made different with a different set of experiences in life. But as we grow in spiritual maturity, we actually are able to sit in with Christians that are different from us, and we're able to worship with them because the Spirit of God is in us. And we hear and look upon the words. We, you know, I remember back in the day I was serving overseas in Africa. I watched the kids dance. Guys, I didn't know a word that they were saying, but I could see the joy on their faces and the tears rolling down their eyes. And I was worshiping right there with them. I've been in church where they were singing, you know what I mean? Like we can be cynical and say sad old songs, right? <laughs> old hymns that are just got like a sad beat. And yet... You know what I mean? You listen to the words. You listen to the words. It is well with my soul no matter what comes in my life. And you are worshiping when you are in step with the Spirit of God. You do not need to, to be around a certain set of preferential worship, something you really like to worship as you get more and more mature. It's not a sign of spiritual maturity to, to be like that curmudgeonly old school person that's like, I can't worship to none of this new stuff. That's not maturity. <laughs> but it's also not maturity to, 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 to be like, you know, when you hear an old song, you're like, this is corny. I'm checking out. No. But it's also true that, like everybody else, I got preferences, right? And I need to make it, I'll make this confession to you. I was telling the, the, some of our teenagers a couple weeks ago. 
In 26 years, I haven't been converted to positive, encouraging, K-love vibe music. <laughs> I just haven't. <laughs> I just haven't. And then we ask this question, why does some like certain like old hip-hop or metal or punk rock, why do these different genres connect deeply with us in, in a different way than something we sometimes hear on the radio? Or at least that's for me, that's how it is. Because sometimes the quote, positive, encouraging part of the music feels like it's airbrushed. Feels fake, feels sugared up, feels cleaned up, sanitized, unreal. And sometimes some of this other music feels raw, feels real, feels original. There's passion, right? It hasn't always been that way, but this sermon ain't about the history of music. <laughs> Guys, Jesus is real. And he's raw, and he's unsanitized, and he's 100% about death and hell. He is not mindless jokes in the morning about, like, is it okay to wear slippers to your office job that just make you want to, like, turn the radio off immediately. <laughs> he's not that. He, he's, he's real. He's raw. He's unsanitized. He talks about how things really are, but his life is also real. His joy is also real. He is the answer. So Jesus can deal with this thing that's scary, that's death, and that's why so much of the music we listen to is raging about what's wrong in the world, right? So much of the music that is out there, it's, it's a lament. It's talking about how screwed up life is. Right? And Jesus is nodding his head. He's saying, yeah, it's messed up. But I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we chase this life in so many ways outside of Jesus. And some are more constructive than others. You know, some of us would chase this life and work. We chase life and family. We chase life and status. Status is a fancy word for money, but what we're really after is status, right? We want people to look at us a certain way because of a certain way we dress and a certain way we come across. It's constructive, but not in a meaningful way. It's constructive in the sense that if you're living for your family or you're living for work or status or whatever, it's not like you're out there necessarily, you know, robbing people, right? You know what I mean? Out there using drugs, whatever. But here's the thing. It's constructive in the way that, have you ever been to a youth group kids thing where the game is to try to um, tape straws in a tower as high as you can. So all you have is tape and straws. If you ever haven't, you've never done this before, it's, 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 it's pretty interesting. So you break up people into groups, and it's a competition to see who can make a sound structure and see how tall they can get it, right? And in this life, some of us 
do better than others. Amen? It's just the fact. And some of us, they get the right people around them, the right family around them, the right experiences around them. And their tower is like from the floor up to here. And then others of us ain't taking the game seriously, not taking life seriously. And it's just a bunch of falling down straws, maybe one or two taped together, but we gave up halfway through. But here's the thing. Eternal life and God and the joy that we really need in this life, there's not 12 feet high. It's like trying to construct straw, a straw tower to the moon. And it doesn't matter how close you are, how much bigger your tower is than anybody else. It's stupid. It's a stupid game. Because nobody with those materials, even with the best team, is ever going to be able to make a tower that reaches. And so our constructive ways, they don't work for us. They don't give us real life. They don't save us from death. doesn't matter how much money you make, how healthy you are, how much you work out, how many pre-workouts you drink, and like whatever stuff you put in the blender, and how many specialist doctors you go to, right? You will die, right? Every single one of us. And so we're all trying to make towers to heaven with straw and tape. And we can't. Others, they don't want to play that game. And so they figure, well, I can't do that, so I'm going to live right now, have a good time right now, take what I want when I need it. Some of us were taught that as kids. And we were taught by a big brother or maybe a father or a grandfather or somebody in our life that if somebody has something that you want and you don't just take it, then you're weak. And instead of being a disciple of Jesus, we get all the wires crossed in our minds. And we call what is good evil and what's evil good. And we also call what's strong weak and we call what's weak strong. But I'm here to remind you tonight that there's no bravery in sin. Getting revenge is the easy path. We we, we only lie because we're afraid of the truth. And we, we're trying to do the easiest thing to get out of our problems. We only steal because we don't want to work for it or don't really believe that we could work for it. We only hurt people because we've been living in a cycle of being hurt, messed up, and violent. And we don't know how to live in any other way. And all this flows from death and leads back to death. But Jesus interrupts it all. He interrupts our corny attempts to try to build up straw towers to heaven and try to live a good life that will never be good enough. He also interrupts our efforts to try to just have a good time and live a bad life and not care. Jesus comes and he intercepts both of those strategies and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am it. He says, he doesn't just give life. Listen to me. He doesn't just give life. He is life. He says, I am the resurrection 
and the life. Death can't overcome him. You hear what I'm saying? Death can't overcome him. When he was in that grave, he couldn't stay in that grave because he was God. He was sinless. There was no corruption that could stick on him. He popped out of that grave. The fourth century bishop, uh, Athanasius from Egypt, he, he was preaching on this text, and this is what he said. We got the quote. We can bring it up on the screen. He says, I am the voice of life that wakens the dead. I am the good odor that takes away the foul odor. I am the voice of joy that takes away sorrow and grief. I am the comfort of those who are in grief. Those who belong to me are given joy by me. I am the joy of the whole world. I gladden all my friends and rejoice with them. I am the bread of life. Amen? Amen? That's who Jesus is. That is what he does. That's who he is. But we have to play our part. We have to play our part. What is our part? It's right in the text. You want to have life? You don't want to die? Now listen, the promise is, of course, that you won't physically die. Jesus' friend, John the Baptist, died. Every single one of his disciples died, and most of them violent deaths. So that wasn't the promise. But they knew this, though they die, they live. Amen. They knew that though they die, they live. Because he has risen from the dead, and he is the resurrection, there is life that Jesus provides. That not even physical death can touch. Because this is the whole gospel, that he came, he died, and he rose from the dead. And by doing so, he opened up the door for every single one of us to walk through that door to life and to resurrection. And the way we receive it is the same message that John has been showing Jesus off in the whole time. Believe in me. That's how I receive it. This won't happen to you unless you trust in Jesus for it. Do you get what I'm saying? This will not happen for you unless you place your trust in Jesus. You will not receive this gift unless you ask for it, unless you trust him for it. Now, believing in the gospel of John, it's the synonyms for this are like knowing, seeing, receiving, coming to, accepting, trusting, abiding, remaining. John never uses in his gospel the word faith as a noun. It's always a verb. It's always something that you do. (laughs) There's something that you have to do. Jesus is this gift. He is the resurrection and the life. But for you to get connected to that, you need to respond to him in faith. You need to trust in him. You need to have a relationship with him. It's something that you actively do. And it always implies that there's a friendship there. There's a relationship there. And you figuring out this question of eternal life is the most important question that you can figure out. Do you know Jesus? Do you trust him? 
are you saved? It's the greatest questions you could possibly ask yourself. He said, he who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. He also says that the one who doesn't believe in him is already condemned. So we're going to physically die, but before we come to Christ, it's also true that we are spiritually dead already. That we are spiritually dead, we're spiritually lost. And brothers and sisters, if you've been awakened and to an awareness that you need God, if you have come to the place in your life where you're like, I trust him, I know him, I'm trying, I know my life's a mess, but Jesus, if you have me, will you take me? If you are even trying to move towards Jesus at all, what I'm trying to tell you is that that only happens by a miracle. That happens by God sending the Holy Spirit in you to draw you to himself. Because the way we naturally are is we are not interested in this stuff at all in our natural mind. God has to open up our eyes. This is not something that we come to this conclusion because we're smart. <laughs> right? Because we studied and we figured it out. And we debated people and we came to the right conclusions. No, this is a miracle that God does in us. And it's not the amount of faith. It's not the amount of your faith. But it's the object of your faith that matters. Let me say that again. It's not the amount of your faith, but the object of your faith that matters. Through your faith, Jesus said, though your faith be the size of a mustard seed. You can say this mountain, go over here and go over there. Faith isn't trusting in yourself. I need you to know this. Faith isn't trusting in yourself. It's not like, you know what, I'm going to try to have faith. That's still trusting in yourself. Faith begins when you get to the point where you say, I know that I know in my soul that I can't. And I need God to do it for me. I know that I can't change my life. I know that I can't get into heaven without him. I know that I can't change anything in my family. I can't change anything in my health. I can't change anything in my finances. I can't do anything without him. And so I am trusting him to give me good gifts because I can't just make it happen on my own. Jesus wants to give you good gifts. And the, one of the first gifts he gives us is that he opens our eyes to see our need for him. When you've answered that question of death and life, you can begin to answer every other question that keeps you up at night and eats away at your soul. <laughs> right? Like, maybe you're lonely. Maybe there's somebody that you love, doesn't love you, or you keep having these toxic there and then not there relationship. You know what I mean? Maybe you're struggling with your kids and you're wondering why they are the way they are. Maybe you're wondering, did I screw up? What did I do? Did my parents do something? Did my grandparents do something? Am I living out some generational stuff? Maybe you're just not sure why you're suffering. Maybe you don't know if next week or next month you're going to be safe. You're going to have a roof over your head. I'm telling you then when you understand that placing your trust in Jesus means you have eternal life, now you can begin to deal with every other aspect of life. You know why? Because even if you die, even if you get sick, even if every day from this point forward things get worse and worse and worse, you are freaking going to heaven. You are going to be 
one day whole, totally healed. And it doesn't matter what happens. You will open up your eyes and you will see Jesus in every single thing that you ever suffered, every single thing that you ever struggled with, every single thing that you ever endured will be unimaginably worth it. You will be able to truly rest. I know life ain't rest, it's work. And I'm not here to tell you that it's going to be rest. It's going to be work. God has stuff for me to do. i got to work out my salvation, and so do you. But one day there will be nothing but rest and wholeness and peace and shalom and healing. But he doesn't just say that I am the resurrection. He says I am the life. And I said the theme of John is not just that you receive eternal life, but that you do get to experience abundant life now. And he demonstrates that, and his disciples demonstrate that. And I want you to hear what I'm saying. The life that Jesus comes with is not some theological, theoretical life that you just have to agree with. But a reality. It's not a mental exercise. Like just meditate on life and good positive things. It's not just start your day listening to K-Love. Positive, encouraging K-Love. And if you love K-Love, good for you. I have no problem with it. But it's, it's not just... It's not just be positive and encouraging. It's not just don't be toxic anymore. <laughs> get, it, get your life together. It's not just that. It's not just new principles to learn. It's not a more positive philosophy. Jesus is life. He is the living God. And that means that he does stuff. He does stuff. Amen? I mean, <laughs> Jesus is still moving. Jesus is still working. He's still healing. He's still leading. He's still answering prayer. He is the life. I remember uh, like three weeks ago, I'm doing this service, and, and, and we, we have a service in Gloucester, and then we go over to Woodbury for the graveside part of it. And while I'm driving to the graveside, I just believe God has given me something to share with them. And so I come up before the family, and I say, listen, I believe the Spirit has given me this encouragement for your family. I believe the Spirit of God had wanted you to hear this. And in the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment is to honor your father and your mother. And what I believe that God has asked me to tell you today is that part of honoring your father and mother is that even when they pass away and die, that you have to forgive them for you. And then after the service was over, one of the nephews came up to me and told me there was abuse. And that word was on top. I didn't know what it was. What I'm trying to say is that there's life in Jesus, which means he's still doing all the Jesus stuff 
that you see in the New Testament when he sees somehow Nathaniel in his mind or he knows somehow the woman at the well's backstory, although he never met her before, how he heals sick people, how he moves around. Like there's life, there's abundant life. And that's good news because we are in some struggles and we need some life, we need some healing, we need some power, we need some direction, amen? And Jesus hasn't left us as orphans to just have us meditate on some theoretical truths, right? He actually says, I am the life. He says, trust in me. He says, anything you ask in my name, I will do it. His brother in the book of James says, you have not. Why? Because you don't ask for it. And when you do ask for it, you ask the wrong way because you ask for it for yourself, Right? That's us. Even in our prayers, selfish. Amen? But thank God that he works with us. He loves us. He's not waiting for us to be perfect. He's not waiting for us to be all cleaned up before he's going to do some stuff with us. I guarantee you that I am a sinner. (laughs) That I am still massively in process and got a lot of failures that I'm living through now. The fruit of those failures. And yet he gives me gifts. He gives me gifts. But we're not even looking for those gifts sometimes. We have an impression, a dream, whatever. We shake it off. We're embarrassed. We feel that God might be calling us to pray for someone. Maybe you don't know him that well. We don't want to be embarrassed. Don't let, don't let a lack of courage steal you, rob from you, the joy of seeing his power work through you. Amen? Don't, don't like, like, we were, you know, so-called brave in our sin and brazen, right? I was brazen, you know what I mean, stealing, like, carts of cigarettes from my grandma, right? You know what I mean? Real brazen and had no problem with that. Let's not be shy about obeying God when we hear his voice and we know that we're supposed to put one foot in front of the other, open up our mouth, and say something that we believe God is doing. What kind of God do you think we have? One that we have to sit in the dark until we die. Eternal life has started now. He heals, he gives power, he gives direction, he reveals hidden things. And I don't want you just to hold on to Jesus for a theoretical and exclusively theological life to come. I want you to hold on to this real life that you experience now. Because our life is full. And I've said this before. Jesus said, I came that you may have life. In John 10, 10. And have it fully. Have it abundantly. Part of that fullness is heartache. It's full of setbacks. It's full of failures. It's full of pain. Amen? That's part of life. You might not want to say amen, but it's part of life. (laughs) But it's also full of joy. It's full of service, it's full of meaning, it's full of purpose, it's full of power, it's full of love. When Jesus is a part of it, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to see this truth more clearly before us. 
God, we pray that it wouldn't just be a thing that we have in our mind, that we mentally, like, understand that, you know, the right language. But I pray it would be something we live out and experience. Please, Lord, we pray for more of your life, more of your resurrection power, more power to say no to ourselves, more power to say no to our selfish desires and yes to your will. So we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.